Let's pray together to our God who's with us this morning. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for being the God who has come to us to be near, to be within us over everything, our redemption. We look to you this morning to speak to us powerfully from your words spoken through Isaiah, and we welcome your Spirit's help in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Good morning. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Hey, Christmas is almost here, isn't it? Yeah, I hear the kids' voices. That's pretty exciting. And at my house, the Christmas cards are rolling in. And now tell me, how many of you send out a picture of your family with your Christmas greeting to others? Let me see your hands. Have you ever regretted your choice of picture that you sent? (laughs) Well, I found out this week that there is a a website called (laughs) awkwardfamilyphotos.com. And I heard about it from Renee Schlepfer over at Twin Lakes Church. In fact, he was a great resource for our topic today. But this uh, website has some Christmas pictures that are hilarious. And what I like to do is to try to figure out the story behind the picture. So look at these. This one has everybody's eyes closed. (laughs) Everybody blinked at the flash. I can just imagine them saying to each other, Ah, nah, let's not take another one. Just go ahead and send it out. What about this one? It must be a goth family Christmas. (laughs) Don't you love the joy on their faces? I think Santa looks a little bit nervous. What do you think? Um, Here's another one. Everybody wear your best shirt. And then here comes Uncle Bob. It must be a Blue Hulk Christmas. (laughs) How many of you have an Uncle Bob in your family? Well, how about this one? I debated on showing you this. I guess dad probably thought the PJs would look a little silly, huh? (laughs) Well, what about this? This is just weird. For For Christmas, I give you the gift of my flexibility. Merry Christmas, everyone. Why? (laughs) And this one needs no caption. They're spelling out the word joy, and they're screaming their heads off. Is that what Christmas joy looks like at your house? If it is, then maybe like me, you're grateful for this series we've been in on Advent. Advent just means arrival. And in the case of Christmas, we're just celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the greatest gift ever given to the world. On a chaotic night in a little town called Bethlehem, down the slope of a hill, in a carved-out place used as a stable. A Savior was born who would take away the sins of the world. And you know, the fanfare about his birth didn't just begin that night. It actually began hundreds of years earlier because there were these prophets who began telling in detail about this Savior who would come to save this dark world. And I love how Frederick Beekner describes the poetry that those prophets used. In fact, while I read this quote from Mr. Beekner, I want to ask you to imagine a huge cathedral with stained glass windows. Listen to this. Because these words, the words of the prophets, are poetry, are image and symbol, as well as meaning, maybe above all, are passion, 
They set echoes going the way a choir in a great cathedral does. Only it is we who become the cathedral and in us that the words echo. Isn't that good? I love that because we've been studying the words of the prophet Isaiah and I'm finding that his words about our Savior are just echoing in me. So right now, you might want to get out your Bible and turn to chapter 40. If you have a lobby Bible, you'll find it on page 427. And grab this outline. It looks like this and a pen. And let's dig in. You know, for the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, there was lots of words of warning to the people of God. Words of judgment that where Isaiah said people get it together stop rejecting your God but then look at verse 40 I mean verse 1 of chapter 40 where he starts a whole new direction he says comfort comfort my people says your God now some of you might recognize those words as the opening lyrics to Handel's Messiah you know that's a common thing for many people to do is go to a presentation of the messiah have you ever done that for christmas if you have raise your hand all right i'm just curious how many of you whether it was the whole thing or just a part of it how many of you ever have ever sung in handel's messiah raise your hand all right thank you we have hidden cameras in the room And we just took your picture so that I can contact you about taking your place in the Twin Cities Choir. I'm always finding ways to to locate you. Well, what's so remarkable about hearing God say this, comfort my people, is that for centuries, God's people had been rebelling against him. And now, at this point, they had been taken captive They had been taken into exile in Babylon, and God had allowed it because their hearts had been so hard toward him. Now they're off in this distant land waiting, feeling distant from the good life they once knew, facing an uncertain future, and even feeling guilty because it was their own sin that put them there. But God wanted his people to have peace even during times of waiting. So he instructs Isaiah to share these, this message of comfort. And when, he, when Isaiah does, he gives us three reasons that we can find peace in our own times of waiting. So here's the first one. You might want to write it down. I can have peace because God's grace is greater. God's peace comes from knowing his grace is greater than any foolishness or foul up from my past. You know, last year, the Smithsonian Magazine put out an article about Handel's Messiah, and I was surprised to read that the first time that great piece of music was performed, it wasn't in a great big venue like London or Paris. It was in a little town called Dublin. And the reason was that's where the debtor's prison was. You see, in that culture, if you couldn't pay your debts, your bills, then you would be sent off to debtor's prison, sometimes for life. And Handel had arranged that all the proceeds of this benefit concert would go to pay the debt of hundreds of prisoners. And they would step out of these dark halls of shame because someone had paid their debt. And you know, I love that because that's what our Messiah came to do for us, to pay our debt, to set us free. Look at how Isaiah describes his grace. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, 
and that her iniquity is pardoned. Her iniquity is pardoned. God is going to forgive them and set them free. And going on, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Would you take your pen and circle that word double? We're going to come back to that. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. You see, that's how passionate God is to reach you. His grace is so great, he will rearrange mountains and valleys to build a highway to get to you. Now, what do you think of when you see a highway? Well, for me, it brings up an image of someone traveling. Someone's on the move. And Isaiah is saying, watch, look up. Your God is coming. Now, this was 600 years before Christ was born. But God is saying here, don't despair. Be comforted. Messiah is on his way. Now, you might recognize some of the words I just read in verse 3. Spoken about somebody else, it went like this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You know who that was? In all four Gospels, John the Baptist, right? He was the voice in the wilderness, crying out because he pointed to Jesus. And he said, hey, he's the one. Follow him because he is where you will find grace greater than your sin, the sin you are thinking about right now. You know, that comforts me. Every Sunday when we come in here together and we sing like we just did about God's grace, where we sing how he takes our sin, we just sing he bears our shame over everything, our redemption. That's sweet comfort to me. Now, what about that word double that you just circled? Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. You know, I had to do a double take on that word double because it sounds like God is into meeting out double punishment, doesn't it? Like he's making sure sinners get the point, punishing them twice over. Well, that's not what it means at all. Notice these words, received from the Lord. This is talking about a gift that we get from God. God is going to make double payment for you and me. And this word double has brought me so much hope. God is saying, I haven't just given you bare minimum to get you off. Just enough salvation to pardon your sins. Like keep you from being lost or something. No, I've given you double. There is so much love. There is so much honor. That it doesn't just wipe out your sins. It welcomes you into my arms. David Martin Lloyd-Jones unpacked this for me. He was a Welsh Protestant minister, a preacher, and a medical doctor who died in 1981. Wonderful accent. I loved listening to him. He even rolled his R's when he got excited. But what I heard him say was so interesting. He said that the average Christian is touchy that they're kind of insecure, that they couldn't take criticism, that they felt inferior, like they were unworthy. Now, that wouldn't describe us, would it? That probably just applies to Welsh Christians before 1981. <laughs> but you know what I got to thinking about it? I realized maybe this is me. I can be very insecure at times. 
I mean, in fact, this is a rut I have visited so often that I might as well have it decorated and furnished. But you know what he said, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said about it, is that it comes from banking on this part that we get pardoned for our sin, yeah, but then stopping there and, and starting to think that it's up to me now to live this good life. It would be like if you were on death row and the governor pardoned you. What would that be like? Well, it would be exciting initially, but then when the excitement wears off, you suddenly realize there's this dark, huge cloud over your life where everybody might say, isn't that the person who did all those terrible things who's been pardoned? Well, yeah, but they're, they're not going to run up to you and say, great, why don't you come work for my company? Or why don't you come marry my daughter or my son? It's not going to happen. Why? Because, well, you've been pardoned, but you haven't been accepted. You're no longer liable for your bad record, but you're, you don't have a good record either. You see, we get insecure if we don't understand this doubleness, I'm making up a word, of the salvation of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians, For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, all those pronouns are pretty confusing. So I drew some stick figures and had Deborah copy them for me. So here we go. This is my simple artwork. My bad record. You see, it's a penalty with a big red X. My bad record is put on Christ so that he gets treated as I deserve. That's what he did on the cross. He purchased life for you and me. But you know, that's just the start. Jesus didn't just die the death you should have died. He lived the life you should have lived. So here's the double part. You ready? Go to the next level. The Bible says the great perfect record of Christ. You see the A plus? His perfect record was put on me. So now God treats me as Christ deserved. That's what it means to become the righteousness of God. God sees me as his jewel, as his beauty. You know, when you say yes to Jesus, you become his treasure. He delights in you. This is double life. You've heard of living a double life. Well, this is the kind of double life I want to live. And when you go to that second level and, and live in this transforming grace of God, he, get, he gives glory through you. His glory gets revealed through you. Look at verse 5, will you? And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Underline that. The glory of the Lord is revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. Do you know, most of us Christ followers don't get this. This is how God's glory gets seen. It's right through you. And that's how all flesh, all people around you get to see it. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I got to talk to a friend of mine named Mike recently who went through a terrible time where his adult daughter had cancer and she was sick for so long and then finally she passed away. And she left behind a husband named Randy and three beautiful young children. And um, after her death, Mike's um, son-in-law remarried. 
And now he goes and he visits that home to stay in touch with his grandchildren. And when I got to ask him about how that young family is doing, he got real cautious, real careful with his words. And, and he said, well, Randy treats his new wife with a level of respect and attentiveness and affection that he never gave my daughter. And when he said that, I just held my breath because I could see the pain in his eyes. But then he went on. He blew me away because he said, but you know, I think Randy is growing. And then he went on to talk with a light heart about his grandkids. I was blown away. I was so moved by God's peace coming through Mike. See, he wasn't harboring resentment. He wasn't nurturing a grudge. He was letting God's glory shine through him. He's living double life. He's letting God show him new thoughts to think about Randy. You know, Christmas brings so many opportunities for you and me to relate to difficult people, right? Maybe within our own families. Maybe Uncle Bob in his blue Hulk shirt is right there under our nose. Maybe he's here with you today. No, don't look at him, okay? (laughs) Or maybe like Mike's situation, maybe there's been real pain in a relationship and possibly you're, you're anticipating a visit with someone who's difficult this very week. Well, you know, when you realize God's grace, the full scope of the gospel message that God has gone further than just your salvation, that he is within you, that you are his treasure, and that you are shining and revealing his glory. You see, it changes the way you think. So not only are you able to see God's glory coming through you when you actually have that encounter with that difficult person, but even the anticipation of it is filled with his peace. And then Isaiah takes this little commercial break. Are you ready for this? His words here could not be more relevant to our culture where we live today. It's like he's saying, are you listening to me? You're really going to want to pay attention now. He says, a voice said, shout. And I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers And the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah is saying, hey folks, you're going to want to pay attention to what God has to say because everything else fades. Everything. Whatever you're going to get for Christmas this week, it's going to fade. You know, the big personalities that we see around us, they're going to fade. Star Wars, it's going to fade. Hard to fathom, huh? But think about it. America, we love our country, don't we? But it's fleeting. We love our church. This building, Twin Cities Church, one day it won't be here. Do you know what's going to last forever? The word of our God. That's why we build our lives on the words of this book. Let's go on. Next, to have real peace when you're waiting, know that God's power is stronger. Look at the picture of God's power, stronger than anything you're facing. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, 
fear not. Would you underline those powerful words? Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Isaiah is saying to these people who are waiting in a really hard situation, don't be afraid. Behold your God. Look up at just who your God is. He's the God of might. He's building a highway to you. He's going to come through. Now, speaking of a highway, I saw something really crazy on the highway right here in Grass Valley a few years ago, and I mean crazy. I was driving north toward Nevada City. I was in the fast lane. You know how there's this dividing concrete wall between us and the oncoming traffic? Well, suddenly I noticed there were no cars passing me going the other way. So I looked ahead, and there was a bunch of cars creeping along slowly. So I took a quick peek over that wall, and when I did, I saw the cause of the holdup. It was a lovely brown dog with a curly tail, just kind of hurrying along in the middle of those two lanes. And behind him was a police car with a flashing light. (laughs) He had his own escort. And behind him was a wall of traffic just creeping along. That dog looked scared. I mean, he was surrounded by concrete. Where do I go? And he looked so nervous. If it wasn't for that powerful law enforcement officer with his official car and his blinking light, it would have been unthinkable for that dog. And I wanted to stop and suggest to the dog, hey, behold your cop. (laughs) Kind of help him appreciate the gravity of this intervention on his behalf, you know? Appreciate that situation, the authority that officer was exerting. Well, you may be facing a situation that is unthinkable, but you could stop and behold your God. That's what Isaiah is saying to do. You know, at at Christmas, we can miss this if we're not careful, that the God of the universe has come close. Do you realize who it is that's come? Do you realize his power, his authority on your behalf? At Christmas, we get out our nativity sets, and we we dust them off, and we set cute little baby Jesus in his manger. And it's easy then to see Jesus as so meek and mild. It's more like Mr. Rogers in a robe. But you know, it's okay to see him that way if you're in a good place, that sweet little fluffy baby. But if you're hurting, if you're in exile, if you're oppressed or depressed, You don't want sweet. You want warrior Jesus. You want battlefield Jesus. You need a mighty God who can lift up valleys and change the course of rivers. See, it's in those times that the power of God can give you peace. Knowing you're in the unshakable grip of God who will never let you go, no matter what. Behold your God. What are you beholding today if it's anything other than this Savior who has come for you? Then it will break your heart. If it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a teacher or a leader or a pastor, or if it's a mountain in front of you looming large, if you're thinking, oh my goodness, look at this mountain, how am I, how am I ever going to climb it? You see, Isaiah says, Don't behold anything but your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, he says in verse 10. And
In verse 12, he says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? He holds the oceans right there in the palm of his hand. Can I ask you to do something right now? Let me ask you to hold your hand out in front of you, palm up, okay? You see that little part where you could cup a little bit of water? Well, Isaiah says that your God is so mighty that he holds the oceans right there in the palm of his hand. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out and calls each of them by name. Do you know how many stars that is? In one calculation, the Milky Way, just our little galaxy, is made up of about 100 billion stars. That accounts for the stars that are, you know, bigger or smaller than our sun. And other mass estimates bring it up to about 400 billion. And God calls every star by name. Your God is strong. Jesus' hands form those stars. And as we celebrate his advent, his arrival this week, I want to invite you to take the rest of this chapter, perhaps starting around verse 12, and just use this vivid description that Isaiah gives you to meditate on just who your God is, that he's powerful, that he's here for you. Behold your God. And now the third way to experience God's peace when you're waiting is to realize God's love is tender. Have you ever looked back at all the ways the Lord has shown you his tenderness? We started out talking about Handel's Messiah, right? Well, Handel's Messiah is really, for me, about God's tenderness because, you see, Handel introduced me to my husband. I I know that that sounds kind of weird. I'll explain it to you, okay? Ron and I were both in school in Texas. We didn't know each other. He was part of a theology program, and I was studying music, and rarely the two departments will meet. Well, near Christmas time, I got to sing in Handel's Messiah, so I was a part of this huge chorus. And after that, an article came out in our campus newspaper. It looks like this. See, I'm way up in the left-hand corner. And when I got that article out to try to find my face, I noticed that at the bottom there was an article about a guy You see him with a really handsome mustache. (laughs) So when I was reading that newspaper, I couldn't help but read about Ron and his journey to this point, the death of his first wife and his courageous pursuit of what God had called him to do. And so I read it and I admired his courage and then I prayed for him. I never thought I would meet him. But months later, and I mean like eight months later, after summer break, the whole school came together in our auditorium, and there, was, there were almost no seats left. It was a full place. I was up in the balcony, and here comes this guy stepping over me to take the one remaining seat there next to me. And when he stepped over, a miracle happened. I remembered that face from that article, and even the name Ron popped in. So I turned, and I introduced myself, and the rest is history. yeah and I just have to say thank you George Frederick Handel (laughs) see God is tender with us he says in verse 11 he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young see the same sovereign king who calls the stars by name 
who's so powerful that he levels mountains and raises up valleys. Here, Isaiah says that at the same time, he's so tender with you that he holds you in his arms. I recently finished reading a book by Johnny Erickson Tata, who was injured in a diving accident when she was only about 17, and she has spent the last 47 years in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic, totally dependent on caregivers for everything. I want to show you the cover of the book, okay, that I read. It's called When God Weeps, Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty. You know, just the cover alone is all I needed for months. I just meditated on those words. My suffering matters to the Almighty? And I just meditated on the, what the painter had captured in the eyes of Christ there. I made, made this my wallpaper on my phone so it would come up. And I just have a word for you artists. If you're a painter, you have a megaphone. If you're a singer or a dancer or an actor or a songwriter, you have a loudspeaker. If you're an instrumentalist, you have a voice. Use your art. There are many of us hear God clearly through the arts. If you're a singer, there's a choir waiting for you. I couldn't miss that chance. Well, look at Jesus' eyes, though. The intensity and love in his eyes. He's the shepherd who reaches to you. He tends to your needs. He gathers you in his arms, but he doesn't just stick you in a backpack and carry on. No, he looks you in the eye with empathy. He gets it. There is so much comfort to knowing that your waiting matters, your suffering matters to him. And finally, I read Johnny's book. It wasn't, not, it wasn't an easy read. I mean, I had to wrestle through why God allows suffering and all that. But here's the quote I wrote in the front of that uh, book. And remember, this was from a woman that I, I came to respect because of how she's handled life in a wheelchair, her one and only life. She said this, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. Well, what is your weakness today? What is it that has you in a time of waiting? Could you learn to look at it like Johnny? And maybe you're longing for a child. Could you say my weakness, that is my childlessness, is my greatest asset? Could you say It's my wait for a mate or my wait for healing. Could you say it's my wait for a job? Could you say it's an asset because it's putting me in a position to get to know how tender his love is for me? He says he'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He wants to gather you, his lamb, into his arms. See, what we need in times of waiting is not an explanation from God. It's a revelation of God. I saw this YouTube video about Naomi File. She's a therapist who is working with 87-year-old Gladys Wilson, who has advanced Alzheimer's. Gladys never speaks. She's unresponsive. She doesn't even look at anyone. She's in her own little shell. And Naomi says the most effective way to work with Gladys is through singing, especially songs from Gladys's childhood, like Jesus Loves Me, and he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, Naomi's sessions with these patients last a long time, but I want you to see just the last few moments that she shares with Gladys 
Now, I, I want you to remember, though, Gladys is a woman who is nonverbal and she's unresponsive. Let's watch this. Can you open your eyes now? Do you see me? Feel safe and warm? Yes? Can you sing with me? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the mothers and the fathers. He's got the mothers and the fathers. that beautiful? What a beautiful picture for you and me of how the Lord comes close. His love for you is tender. You may be thinking though, well, yeah, that's nice, but you know, talking about him being tender, why doesn't he just step in and do something about my problem? Well, sometimes we do wonder why God doesn't seem to be doing anything to fix what we're going through, but you know, our human eyes often fail to see that God isn't rushing to change our circumstances because he is concerned with a much bigger problem, and that's our character. Here's where you're going to find peace. This is the bottom line, okay? I can experience peace when I focus on what God is doing in me more than on what he's doing around me. That's why Jesus came. That's the message of Christmas, to be God with you, in you, personally. See, if you'll let him reveal to you that his grace is greater and his power is stronger and that his love is tender, if you'll do that, then when you come to your time of waiting, you're going to have peace. And one last thing, if you really believe this truth about God's grace and his power and his love, you're going to want to do for others what we get to see Naomi do for Gladys. You're going to want to find ways to love them, to serve them, to sing to them, whatever it takes to communicate this great God who came for them. And like Ron said, we have a chance to do that this week by inviting them to come to Christmas service with us. You know that many people will come on Christmas, even non-religious people, that may not come any other time. And if they come in that door, they're going to get a chance to hear clearly about a God who came to bring them peace. That's God's desire for you today. He doesn't want you, his precious child, to struggle with the woes of this world because his main occupation is to prepare you for the world to come. Let's pray together. Oh God, I'm so grateful that you came for your grace that is so evident in baby Jesus, how you came close to each of us, how you've brought to us forgiveness of our sin on the cross. We thank you for the cross. But Lord, you've gone even further. You've doubled that favor and you see us today as your precious jewel when we say yes to you. And maybe that you're here this morning and you've never 
done that, you realize that you like to invite Christ to be your Savior. He is eager to hear you call to him. And so right now, would you, in the quietness of your heart, would you just say, Lord, I'm just going to say yes to you, to this deal you offer me where I can find forgiveness through your cross and I can move into this thing that I've heard Isaiah describe, that I can live a double life where I get to be your treasure and your jewel, where I get to reflect your glory. And Lord, we all thank you together for the power of our mighty God. And this Christmas, yeah, we're going to celebrate baby Jesus who lived so humbly. We thank you for that baby, but we're not going to minimize him when we sing holy infant, so tender and mild. We're going to remember, Jesus, that you are mighty God for me, for everyone around me. And we're going to count on you to move mountains before us. And maybe this morning you just need to quietly pray to the Lord and say, thank you for your tenderness with me. Thank you for the reassurance that the waiting time that I am in has not gone unnoticed by you, God, but that you're right here and you're holding me and I'm going to stay right here in your arms. I'm going to trust you, God, for the outcome. Lord Jesus, we're so glad you came and may our celebration of you this week your arrival, may may it come from the deepest part of our souls as we celebrate this week. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.